This is Barry Knapp with Ironsides Macroeconomics. It's Monday morning, July 24th. There's a lot of big weeks these days, but this one looks uh, particularly interesting. An FOMC meeting where the result is somewhat of a foregone conclusion, though um, uh, the press conference should undoubtedly be interesting. We've got um, GDP this week. We get the biggest week for S&P 500 earnings and um, we'll have a much greater sense at the end of this week whether the gross domestic income earnings recession is indeed over as we've um, postulated it, it likely is. And so this week we wrote a note titled Unstable Equilibrium. A little bit of a, a paradox, we suppose. Um, and there were really just three sections to the note walking through why we think we are in this unstable equilibrium that could persist uh, for some time and allow the market to complete the 94, 95 analog where it retraced the entire move um, from last year's sell-off. Um, we then wrote a Fed preview and um, one note, our, our weekly will be delayed uh, this week, probably won't be able to release it till Monday morning. Um, we've got a big event at the end of this week that will um, occupy my time. And then um, we had some early earnings season thoughts. So to begin with on this idea of an unstable equilibrium, we did uh, forecast in essence that we were going to retrace the entire sell-off from last year. At the time we were viewing it as the mother of all taper tantrums. Uh, you could view it that way or if you want to um, take the recession approach where we did have two negative quarters of GDI driven by three negative quarters of the net operating surplus of private enterprises, we in essence had a recession and a recession related sell off. And so typically those would be retraced in about a symmetrical uh, time frame, meaning it took about 10 months for that 27% decline to occur. So you would expect that sometime in the third quarter of this year, we would have re retraced the entire move. So our again, our forecast was that the S&P would probably make its way all the way back to 4,800. That seems increasingly likely. Um, and that view was driven by uh, this idea that we were going to have a disinflationary trend through at least the first half of the year. Uh, the liquidity environment would generally be favorable. We'd have earnings resilience because if we did have a recession, it was going to be a real but not nominal recession. And um, uh, and again, on this 94, 95 analog, which we thought there were lots of similarities to the current environment. We thought we were on the, back then we were clearly on the verge of a big capital spending boom, technology changes, and, and the same is true today. The banking system had been de-risked of credit exposure, um, but uh, therein lies the, the big difference, right? So first, just to walk through those elements, um, we've had the bulk of disinflation in headline uh, CPI and PCED, though we are going to continue with disinflation in the core, and that will continue through the first quarter of next year because of the way measures of shelter are constructed. Um, 
And so it won't be quite the same impulse as CPI falling from 9% all the way down to three in the second half of the year, but it will still be a disinflationary trend that at a minimum should get the Fed to stop the rate hike process. Um, the liquidity environment turned out to be a little more balkanized than we expected. So not quite as favorable as evidenced by the Silicon Valley Bank, First Republic collapse. Um, but so the first part of the liquidity story wasn't as good as we, we thought it was going to be. But the second part, when the Treasury went about doing their financing, once they got the Financial Responsibility Act signed and uh, increased that issuance, which was a key element of us thinking we were going to have a favorable and a liquidity environment for the first half of the year. That refinancing went better than expected. A bit more of it came out of the RRP program, which was just sitting idly in government coffers, then came out of bank reserves. Um, although it is notable that we had a $78 billion decline in deposits last week, uh, largely from, or from, mostly from large banks, it's interesting, it looks as if banks really paid up for deposits for the end of the quarter so they could report decent numbers with their earnings uh, that we saw over the last couple of weeks. But then as soon as that was over, they had a big run on deposits. And so we don't think that that bank reserve story is over, um, but um, we'll leave that aside for now. And then the earnings resilience story turned out to be a good call on our part, I suspect. Um, others got the you know, nominal versus real inflation story wrong or growth story wrong. As we said, in the recessions that occurred during inflationary regimes, 1970, 73, 70 to 75, 80 and 81, 82, you tended to have <clears throat> nominal growth continue to expand while real growth contracted and the earnings declines were just not that large because earnings are of course nominal. And um, so we did have an earnings contraction over the course of last year, but it wasn't all that deep, again, because nominal growth continued to, um, to increase. And then the final piece was the 94 analog, which brings us to the unstable equilibrium. You know, if you look back at that 94, 95 rate hike cycle, uh, the curve flattening wasn't, was about 70%, if you look at twos, tens, or the three-month tenure, as what, it, um, as what occurred this go around. The Fed hiked 300 bases in that, 300 basis points in the in the 94 tightening cycle. It was 500 this time. Um, but the difference is those curves never really went negative back in 94. In this case, they're deeply negative. And for us, we just don't think that the banking system can withstand a year or more of a curve this deeply inverted. Now, to be fair, we've compared this to 73, uh, late 79, late 80, in those cases, though, the term premium on the longer term portion, the 10 year uh, Treasury note was positive. It was positive by 100 basis points in 73. It was positive by two to 300 basis points in the 79-80 period. In this case, it's negative by 100 basis points. And that is creating this equilibrium that's going to persist for some time, we think, which is long term rates. <clears throat> financing housing or financing long-term investment are much lower than they should be if the Fed didn't own a third of the mortgage market, treasury market, and tips market. And so those financing rates are being held artificially low, and that's spurring investment. Um, former Dallas Fed president 
Kaplan was just on CNBC talking about the fiscal impulse that's been a big theme of ours, how the fiscal policy and monetary policy are working at cross purposes. But the, the unstable piece of this is by having those curves so deeply inverted, it impairs the basic small bank business model and is causing financing to small businesses to be much tighter than it would be otherwise. And by tighter, I mean in terms of the supply of credit. Small banks have no choice but to shrink assets. So we've seen some evidence of that in small business employment. The job openings for businesses with one to 49 employees has come down by a million so far this year. Uh, we saw an anecdote that American Express said that small business use of their cards is uh, is weakening. Um, so there, you know, that's that unstable equilibrium. Now, again, we think that could probably persist through at least another quarter. But as we get towards the end of the year, we're going to need some resolution as we get into 2024, because we are going to need that bank credit to help roll commercial real estate loans. There's a big maturity wall in 24 and into 25. Private equity loans, just small businesses in general are going to need the curve to disinvert. And we spent a lot of time in the note talking about how that might occur. Unfortunately, a lot of those, most of those um, potential solutions other than the Fed cutting rates would likely lead to some sort of a risk off episode, right? A bear steepening, long rates going up and that being the way the curve disinverts is uh, most likely not gonna be a happy outcome for the, for the markets. So that brings us on to the, um, the Fed this week, Fed claims to have been data dependent, but the data since the June meeting implies that this really was a skip overall. They had every intention of hiking again in July. Um, CPI was much better than expected. Headline payroll growth finally softened. Yeah, the wage number was a little bit hotter than expected, but when you looked beneath the surface, you saw that wages were coming down uh, for the service sector, which is what the Fed was supposedly worried about. The Fed says that bank credit, curiously, they say that bank credit, and here's the chart I put up around the video associated with this, but they said the bank credit's tightening no more than they would have expected it to. In other words, this is a feature, not a bug of tighter policy, but um, we don't really see it that way, particularly when you consider what it means for small businesses. Um, we think the real reason that they did not tighten in June was because of the treasury issuance, probably is the primary reason, and then some secondary concerns about bank credit. That issuance went better than expected, so here they are, they're gonna tighten now. So it really was a skip. It was never really a, well, Powell catched it as we're slowing the pace and we are data dependent, but I don't see it that way. Um, so this brings up the, the question of why doesn't the Fed talk about the deep inversion of the curve? Why wasn't it in the minutes? Why don't they talk about the balance sheet? Why don't they talk about uh, this, you know, balkanized effect they're having on the small banking system? And um, they're just unwilling to consider alternate approaches to the tightening process and the fact that the housing market may very well be um, uh, heating back up a bit here. Again, you know, we spent a lot of time in the notes, so I'm not going to do it here because we'd like you to be a subscriber and read the notes about different ways that the curve could disinvert. Um, Treasury could change their issuance approach. We could get foreign selling of longer duration treasuries due to um, weakness in 
the RMB or the yen or you know even even uh, the euro's been strong, but um, uh, we could definitely get some Asian central banks to start selling treasuries, and that could uh, cause fair steepening as well. Again, that wouldn't be a very happy outcome. So, uh, as I said, it's a big week. <clears throat> we already saw PMIs overnight. They were um, in Asia. We saw Australia, Japan. There wasn't much to say there, but the European manufacturing PMIs look horrendous. Germany's below 40 for manufacturing PMI. So we're seeing no signs of recovery in global manufacturing. Um, we'll, of course, get our first look at GDP and hopefully the annual benchmark revision. Some reason I think that was delayed last year, but um, <clears throat> hopefully we'll get it this go around. We'll get the PCED number on Friday and um, the employment cost index. Those will obviously won't have any bearing on the Fed's decision this week, but we'll go some way towards setting the early tone as to whether there'll be a September um, uh, hike or not. Earnings season uh, is just getting started. It's too early to declare victory and say, hey, the earnings recession was over. Uh, we've had about 18% of the S&P reporting so far, but it is tracking towards the end of um, the earnings recession. The average stock is falling about 80 basis points, under, underscoring how much the market has rallied. But there is something of a halo effect because, of course, the market rose over the course of last week. We didn't see anything in the financial sector to make us um, change our tune there. We still think you should be cautious. Um, as I said, they probably um, rushed to raise deposits to make the numbers look a little better than um, they would otherwise at the end of the quarter, but they are having to pay up. Their cost of goods sold is rising and um, net interest income is still going up a bit, but net interest expense is going up faster. Uh, it looked like profitability measures are coming down a little bit. And um, as we mentioned, they had this big drop in deposits in the second week of July. So uh, all in all, um, you know, it was it's a decent start for earnings season and it is likely that the earnings recession is over, but the banks remain a big um, uh, soft spot for the economy and potential risk to the broader small business sector, hence the unstable equilibrium that we're in. That's it for me this week. Barry Knapp from Ironsides. Have a good week, everyone. Thank you.